Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. You know, with all that has been going on in, in golf, uh, professional golf, uh, on the men's side, I thought, why not bring together two of the most thoughtful people who have covered this game for decades, written countless books, worked for every significant uh, magazine or, or newspaper uh, covering the game of golf. That's Michael Bamberger and Jaime Diaz. Now, all of them, or both of them, uh, should I say, are in different phases of their careers. Michael has left Golf Magazine. He is now with the Fire Pit Collective, and he is writing and he is doing podcasts. He even has a Twitter account, which is mind-blowing to me. And, of course, Jaime. Jaime is now on television on a regular basis on Golf Channel. But when it comes to covering the game, giving thoughts about what has happened, what might happen, and what should happen, no two better people than Michael Bamberger and Jaime Diaz. We welcome in Michael Bamberger and Jaime Diaz. Gentlemen, it's great to see you both. And if you live long enough, uh, you'll, you'll find guys like Michael Bamberger go over to where he's now doing podcasts and he's got a Twitter following. And Jaime Diaz is now a television star. And meanwhile, Bob Drum and Herm, you know, Furman Bisher are rolling over in their graves. It's, it's amazing <laughs> that we are at this stage. Forget live golf. I mean, look at you two. Michael, you do look liberated, though. Jaime and I have said this a million times. One of the most inspiring things was seeing uh, Furman late in his life schlepping into the uh, into the press room at East Lake, or seeing Art Spander at Tulsa and uh, where else the Country Club, you know, with all these notebooks and computers that they can barely manage. And I think, if I may speak for Jaime, and I, I can't, but I think Jaime and I would like to follow uh, uh, in that tradition. Yes, I do feel uh, some sense of liberation. It's a lot of Fun, but I had a great run with great colleagues at golf.com, and I'm not being paid to say that. Um, but this is kind of a different thing uh, for me. For those who don't know, I was at SI for a long time 23 years with Jaime for some of those years, then at golf magazine, golf.com, and now I'm at a new outfit called the Fire Pit Collective. Yeah, and, and Jaime, for you, you you've been on the program before, uh, you've been doing television long enough that, that people are. Are quite familiar are you are you though seriously at a point where there is some comfort with what you're doing because it is a it's a it's a skill uh and it's it's an exercise it's very different i'm not completely comfortable uh if i've gained any comfort gary and this is not blowing smoke it was because i had those years of working with you that kind of were a breakthrough as far as just allowing myself to be myself and having faith in uh uh you know, the conversation, but the way you started conversations was liberating for me. So um, that's hard to replicate all the time, but uh, I, I, you can sort of self-generate it a little better. I mean, I can a little better than I used to, but it, TV, I just keep getting more respect for the people that are good at it. Well, you, you both have seen an awful lot, and I don't know how much you could have seen the, the, the present state we find men's professional golf in, um, but it's it's a pivot point to whatever degree we choose to, to make it. Uh, Michael, um, how did we get here? You know, Gary, just two quick notes. 
you know, I, I know we're three baseball fans here. Roger Angel died recently. And one of the things that I picked, one of the things reading the obits of Roger Angel that made me think about Jaime is he was, I think he was 101 when he died, but he yeah. wrote right through his mid nineties. And the thing about Roger Angel is he wrote from the fans perspective. And I think one of the things that kept that's been so invigorating for me following Jaime for a, a long number of years now, and I would say arts fans are the same, but we're talking about Jaime here is that he writes from the fans perspective. And I think that, and I would like to say the same for myself as well, maybe with a little bit of a different, different look at it. I know we're going to get to that in a minute. I think that's one of the things I'm sure it's true for all three of us uh, uh, in, in this conversation is, is the starting point of the love of the game. Gary, to get to your specific question, how do we get to this place is because there's a conflict between those of us who are drawn to golf chiefly because of the absolute love for the game and the role that money plays in everything, which is ultimately a corrupting factor. Mm -hmm. Jaime, is, is, is there anything... That, that could have been done, uh, done on the side of, of the, the PGA Tour that could have prevented where we currently are? I don't think so, Gary. I'm, I'm sure that they thought about things in terms of more incentive. I, that, that's probably been going on for a long time without even the threat of live. Just because golf is kind of a fragile equation, uh, I think. I mean, everybody talks about how great the game, before live, obviously, uh, how great it was well-positioned and better than ever. But I always think that golf, if you don't love the game, it's not the most seductive watch. It's not the most, um, you know, exciting sport. And so as a result, I think the tour is always weighing how do we satisfy the sponsors, give them the best possible product and not overpay the players and, and, and create decadence. And I think they resisted that. People can say that they uh, underpaid the players based on, you know, comparisons with Major League Baseball or NBA or NFL. I think it's been a pretty good deal for everybody. Uh, tougher at the bottom, obviously, but that's the game. It's really hard. And to get out there is a privilege, and it shows tremendous skill and tremendous, to me, character when you can stay out there. And so it shouldn't be an easy bar to clear. And I think the stars in golf have, in many ways, the best deal of any athlete. So I don't think the tour... Um, was willfully greedy or de denying the players. They obviously have reserves in case of this emergency, and now we have an emergency. So, you know, the second guessing as to whether the tour could have done something, the amount of money that, that Liv is offering could not have been countered in advance by the PGA Tour. Uh, and I think Monaghan, Jay Monaghan made that pretty clear. He's not naive. If, if, if money is the only weapon here, we're outgunned. But it's not the only weapon, and that's why I think the tour can still make a good appeal to keeping the great majority of its players. You know, Michael, one thing that that I don't, I, I will not accept is is the truth or this notion that they were underpaid. Uh, I've always said they, they get as much as you can get, um, but the market is has provided what the market has provided. This to me is not some type of reaction. To, to a workforce that has been underpaid uh, by any stretch. Do you agree with that? I completely agree with that because uh, at the end of the day, golf is a niche sport. And uh, right now, I think what we're afraid could happen is that there aren't enough named players to go around to keep the European tour afloat, the PJ tour afloat and, and live golf afloat. 
um, as Rory McIlroy has, Rory McIlroy has been saying for a while now, if we don't know where to turn to watch golf, well, then it's like, you know, heavyweight boxing or even tennis for that matter, you know, except for the four, uh, for, for the four major uh, Grand Slam, Slam events. So, uh, no, they have, there is no such thing as underpaying or overpaying. In other words, if someone comes to you and, and buys your $500,000 house for a million dollars, it was worth a million dollars to that person. The golfers got paid what the market would bear for them. And I think there was an underlying understanding is it was sort of built into the whole thing is that you're basically playing a niche sport and to Jaime's point, and you're damn lucky to be playing it. And now as Monaghan has come in, the Saudis have come here with, with all this money and it sort of does come from nowhere. And in a weird way, it's not a fair fight. Um, but it's also, I think one of the reasons I think we find it weird it's not really the best word at all it's because it doesn't feel earned and everything in golf is supposed to be earned in other words it's like oh you've got this beautiful island in maine and native american fishermen and trappers had it for years and then crusty old new englanders came in and then a few country people came in and built their you know and built summer homes and now some you know tech fund billionaire is going to come in and build an estate it's like, huh, where's this guy coming from? And that's sort of how I think this Saudi wealth into golf feels to some of us who have been drawn to this game for a long, long time. You know, all three of us were at the players, and that was after the, the comments from Phil Mickelson that were attributed to your colleague, Alan Shipnook, uh, in, in the book, Phil, uh, the biography that has been done great, not surprisingly. And, and that week, Jaime, uh, I said, look, they won a battle. That's what they won, and it was temporary. And I was surprised that Roy McIlroy said, "You know, they're 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 pretty, you know, it's dead for all intents and purposes. Money doesn't go away. Uh, they needed to kind of regroup, uh, and they took a hit. Um, and here we are today, you know, and it's the beginning of July, and and they're picking off guys left and right, whether they be journeymen, whether they be college players and top ranked amateurs, uh, guys who are just developing in a Taylor Gooch." Um, is this going to continue? I think it will continue at the margins, but not at the heart, not at the core. Uh, I, I do think that Jay Monahan and the tour can offer a deal to the best players in the world, the great majority of them. And I'm not just talking about the top five. I'm talking about, you know, the 50 that, that make the tour, you know, the best tour in the world and, and where the best players play. That other than the older guys, other than – the younger guys who are feeling like this could be a great gamble as far as creating a, a nest egg that I will always have um, as a cushion. And then I'll be able to play the PGA tour when all this gets straightened out. I mean, all these are calculations, but the core calculation is, do I want to play against the best? Do I want to play it on the biggest stage, get the most credit, make the most history, all those things, the tour wins that battle. And I think that's the battle that Jay Monahan wanted to have. But it's more complicated than that because you can't speak for all the players. You can only speak for, you know, the, the Rory McIlroy's, the John Roms, the, the guys who are going to, you know, play for the traditional values that Arnold Palmer, Ben Hogan, even Tiger Woods has, has, have voiced, Jack Nicklaus. Um, I think there was an assumption that that is always going to carry the day, and it's not going to carry the day with everybody. So – you know, they're going to trumpet these people they're picking off. And some of them obviously are great players who will be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka. But 
if you looked at them individually, you sort of realize that they don't really have that, that heart and that core kind of connection to the game. Uh, they've lost it. And I think by definition, just by going to live, it's a defining moment. If you're going to live, you probably stopped playing for the things that the fans value most. You're going to make a wonderful life for yourself away from golf, but your golf life is going to be more empty, a lot more empty. And are you willing to sacrifice all that, that, that fills it for the money? And some people will, I think those that do, you start to feel like they're not going to be that hot. They're not going to be that greatly missed. I mean, I hate to say it. I, as good as DJ is, as good as Brooks has been, as long as they're going to go to live and that's what their intentions are, I'm not going to miss them. But, but, uh, now, well, well, now there's 20 of them. Okay. But I just don't think there will be. Yeah. yeah but what Michael, what they've done is they've cornered the market on rebels. All the, the, whether it be Sergio Kepka to a degree, not so much DJ, there's an ambivalence toward him. DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, these guys are polarizing. They've gotten them all. They've taken all the bad boys. Uh, and, and is that an accident? Uh, well, I think it's, they were outliers and uh, they weren't afraid to turn their backs on the thing that made them in the first place. Uh, so, no, I don't think it's an accident that that personality type was drawn to this thing. And by the way, I would, I would put Phil on the list. I, I've said this before, but for a lot of reasons, I'd say this. If I never see Patrick Reed ever hit another golf shot again, I would not care. And I would say that really for, for, for the entire group. Um, 48 players playing 54 hole events without a cut with guaranteed money will never have the competitive juice that the PGA Tour has. Now, if the Saudis decide they really want to give the PGA Tour a run for, for, the, for its money, then they're going to go another way 10 or 20 or 150 years from now, and that is full field events with cuts and just create a league, a tour that really could, a world tour, the thing that Greg Norman envisioned, you know, what, 30 years ago, that really could compete with the PGA Tour. This thing, I don't think will ever compete with the PGA Tour, no matter what name players they have, uh, because I don't think, I mean, again, one's going to care. I don't, I could not care less who wins at Portland this week uh, or who won uh, that first event in London a couple weeks ago. Hey, Gary, let me just say something really quickly to clarify. Sure. I, you know, I think Patrick Reed is like a genius player around the green. I, I will miss seeing that artistry and DJ at his best when full flight has been as good as anybody since Tiger, but I won't miss them because they've shown they really don't care about the things that matter most anymore. And so that I think puts them in a category that diminishes their skills. Probably internally, they don't, they don't have as much motivation anymore. They're not going to be the player with the intensity and the focus that they used to be, but also because it doesn't mean that much to them. You, you don't identify with it. Uh, I think with tiger, I always use him as a model because to me, he's like the ideal golfer in so many ways. And the reason we love golf and, and why he is always, no matter what's happening with him of the greatest interest is because he loves excellence. He loves he, all the sacrifices it takes. He loves the fight for it. Those are the things we care about. And if that's gone in a player, no matter where he's playing his, and no matter what his skills are actually uh, uh, in terms of, you know, what he's capable of at that time after he's lost that he's to me he's lost just about everything in terms of making him an interesting golfer but you know they th those guys were really fun to watch and 
I will miss them in that other environment, but I won't miss them in this environment. Okay, Gary, just a quick follow up on that. Jaime, that was beautifully said. I agree with that completely. Because I they're saying is all that stuff that you guys care about, you know, we don't, not at this stage, we're just about the money. And for us, it's like, we, you know, we all play golf at different levels, but we know golf is really hard. And if it's really just about the money, then, then if you don't care, why should we? Yeah. Um, but Monaghan has a problem here because if you can't really go to the PGA tour and know these are the best players in the world, you know, if it would never be triple a baseball, but if it's somewhere bridging triple a in the big leagues, then there is a, then there is a problem. Yeah. And I think that's why this thing is engendering so much emotion because for a long time now, we've been able to, we've been able to say certainly the four majors, but also maybe 15 or so other times a year, the best players in the world were, were gathered for good or for bad on the PGA tour. Yeah. You know, and European players and Australian players and yep. Asian players, players from all over the world aspired to get on the PGA tour because there was the most money there one, but also there was the best, best golf courses best practice best weather but also the best competition and that last part's very very significant yeah you know michael you mentioned that the, the idea of what greg envisioned or what he was in pursuit of 30 years ago and, and what came about was was these world golf championships and that was a coming together of of global talent uh on on the same stage and i thought it was great except for the fact that i thought it reeked of softness why are you bringing these players together in a world golf championship and having no cut events? That is the essence of championship golf. I, I screamed about it for years and years, and it's almost like it was a forerunner uh, to what these guys now kind of like want or expect. Like if you're going to get me to come, you know, you got to kind of make it, you know, you know, not easy, but less than what I want from you. Go out there and play 72 holes, and if you're not good enough over the first 36, you're going home. It's no cuts. It's show up money. And even then, Jaime, a handful of these players have been choosing consciously for years not to go to these events. We should have seen this coming. There is an overall softness to this generation that, that I think permeates through the game. Well, I think there's a decadence. I just think, you know, there's a lot of ways to make money as a golfer that don't include playing. And the playing is the hard part. And the playing is the stuff we're interested in, but it's also the thing that wears players out. And so as they get more entitled and feel like I want to control my life, my own life, they start saying, let's take all the hard part out of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're, if you were having like a, a dream and go, okay, what, what can I do to make golf ideal as far as the least stress possible, you would dream up what Greg Norman dreamed up. And it is antithetical to what, what Greg uh, talked about back in 94 it was all about challenge at that time and like we have too many superfluous players let's just bring all the best in a concentrated moment and you'll have like a major every week that was kind of his thought or at least his pitch I don't think in terms of what he's come up with now it follows that at all not even sure it was true then and by the way that was not Greg Norman's idea I keep saying this it was Mark McCormick's idea well before that you know Greg acts like he was you know the global visionary on this he wasn't he got people together, but it wasn't that big uh, a novel idea. But the point is that, you know, this softness that you talk about is the thing that is, I think, eroding possibly golf to the point where live becomes a bigger threat. And I think that's what we're all sort of feeling subconscious unconsciously is, yeah, we know what we want and we know why the game is great, but maybe the players of today just don't feel the same way. And if they don't, they will run 
in hordes in in mass to to uh, to live. I, I think you know we've seen Rory and others try to save that kind of old school value and Tiger obviously, and I still believe in it. But there is an unknown quantity right now. We still don't know. I, I think it's going to be headed off. Uh, I don't think it's going to be this desertion, but it's already been kind of a window into how a lot of players think. You know, Michael, but Jaime, if yeah, it, Jaime, if it, Gary, if you don't mind real quick, sure. Jaime, if it's only 48 guys, it'll never marry to, match her. To Gary's point, those World Golf Championships, I think were they 72 events, 72 players for the most part, no cut. They were boring. They were soft. They were off. The golf courses were often soft. You just didn't care. And by the way, just as a very quick aside, Patrick Reed could walk around the King of Prussia Mall in, outside of Philadelphia for a week and three people would recognize him. So, I mean, they're, they're, the players themselves are sort of overstating their value in any kind of uh, cultural context. I mean, they're really obscure figures. But 48, even 48 Patrick Reeds, you know, who's, who's a major champion winner, even that would, well, would I have, uh, I think, very little impact. I think what, you know, you have – five or six players at the top, they're decent. And the bottom of the field is 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 so substandard, even to the, like the Corn Ferry, that I think that detracts from what Liv is presenting in terms of any competition. If they got, you know, just a bunch of really honest rank and file journeymen from the PGA Tour, I think they could, at that point, claim they have a legitimate tour. I think they're very far from that. Uh, and, and I think the PGA Tour is doing all that it can to make, that that decision, one that the wise golfer will choose the PGA Tour. Well, I mean, how would you distinguish between you know forty eight and Gary's point about seventy two in that context? Well, I didn't think the WGCs were as soft as you guys did. I, I thought at the top of the field. I mean, Tiger won seventeen of those, I think. And because he, he's, he's not really soft, got, he can uh, cut yeah, through the softness of them. Here, no, no, but, I, but you just, I mean, you just said, I think you know exactly how many majors he has, and you know how many PGA Tour. <laughs> no, I forgot how many WCs he had, but he had an overwhelming number. The point is, he brought it, and there were some really good finishes there, and he thought they were important. So to me, he gave them legitimacy. But also, they were good courses, and they were. It was guys playing as hard as they could. Uh, at the bottom of the field, yeah, it was a payday. At the top of the field, it was still it still meant something. Well, it, it meant something because, you know, particularly with him, I mean, he drove that entire brand of events because one, he showed up, two, he saw the chum in the water, uh, all these guys he wanted to eviscerate anyway. <laughs> he got to see him it. a little bit more. I, I don't see the analogy. With, I, there's, there's no comparison between WC and live. Maybe in structure. No, 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 no but, 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 but there, was, there was something about the creation of this and, and you, you just made it easier. Don't, yeah. don't, don't get them together. And, and look, it's been exacerbated by what they've done with the match play. Oh, gosh, we hate for you to fly all the way here from Tibet and lose on a Wednesday, and you got to go home. Too bad. That's, that's well, you know, you got in the field. Be, be happy. Well, it, it, there's a balance there because the fans do want to see the best players, and if they got to go home on Wednesday, it's a big letdown. So match play, to me, just doesn't work as, as a tournament format, on a, certainly on a week-to-week basis. Once or twice a year is enough. I love it, but the tournaments don't turn out the way people want them. Okay, so the, the Open Championship, Michael, is is coming up. And and I, I've thought about this recently. And look, COVID was the worst thing for a lot of people in their, in their lives uh, for countless reasons. But in this perverse way, it seems so right 
that the Open at St. Andrews was pushed to this year because I feel like everything is coalescing and it's like every world of golf is colliding. Nicholas is getting his citizenry and it was Ben Franklin and it was Jones and now it's him and you had the story about him and, and the Saudis and, and here's Tiger and Phil in the same field and it's the 150th Open and my God, I feel like everything is going to combust. Not to mention Trevino and Charles and some other people are going to get honorary degrees. It's so perfect that it's going to be there. Am I wrong? Well, it's any time there's an open at the old course. Yes. It's a great occasion. Um, but you know how Arnold kept retiring from the Masters? Yeah. Um, we've had sort of this same thing with, uh, oh, the pandemic is over in golf. The first time the pandemic was over in golf, was Kiel when when uh, when Phil won uh, the PGA Championship, yes. and tens of thousands of people swarmed around him without masks, breathing on each other, and you know, and this hugely infectious disease just spreading all over the uh, the Kiel campus. But having said that, yes, this is going to be a great great occasion, even even without even a nod to the pandemic, just to have. It's like April when you know hundreds of us or dozens of us would you know the lucky group of us that would gather around the tree and say hi to each other for the first time all year. We used to say hi to Doral, but they killed the Doral event for a lot of the reasons you mentioned earlier, Gary. But yes, just to go to the open in, in St. Andrews, I'm lucky enough to be staying downtown, no car, just walking to town. What could be better? No. And, and Jaime, again, everyone and me included would have loved to have seen Tiger at the U S open. I thought it was a great week. Happy for the country club. But it almost seems like he's gonna he's gonna make some statement that week, and he's gonna do it at a place that he passed on the U.S. Open when that could have been when he could have stuck you know his flag in the ground in terms of you know being definitive uh, and forceful about his allegiance and where he is. But there's gonna be Phil and there's gonna be Tiger uh, at the Open, and I think that his presser this might be the most. And he's never been one to to be forthright. Uh, it, under the big top of that media center. But I think that that week could be one of the most important 25, 30 minutes he's had outside of being inside the ropes in his career. I think you're right, Gary. Uh, I, on the other hand, I do think he's already put a flag in the ground in terms of where he stands on, right. on, this, on this whole issue. And it had great effect. And I think he knows when he speaks, it doesn't have to be a lot. It, it, it leads so many people's mentality, so many other players feeling like, okay, that's what we should be doing. That's, this, is, this is the model. He's the ideal of why we're here. And yeah, he can build on that at St. Andrews. I think mostly it's just him trying to be optimum Tiger, whatever that happens to be now, uh, to play and, and maybe to do something miraculous on the golf course. I think that's going to be his, his emphasis. And, you know, missing the U.S. Open was probably a good thing in that regard because he's got to heal up. He's got to be as strong as possible. That would have probably been debilitating uh, and not enough recovery to be for the U.S. Open, just as Southern Hills was with the PGA after the Masters. So I don't know, obviously, but it does seem like he doesn't have that many bullets left in his gun, and he wants to shoot them at the best places, and this one is the absolute best place. And I think you're going to see Tiger as focused and as committed as he's ever been, which is saying so much because he always is. Uh, and then if it if it happens to be that he he's in that press conference and and the whole thing comes down to you know the essence of what's going on right now, I think he'll speak very well because I think he truly it's all conviction with him at this point on that point. He's not 
selling anything. He's just talking about why he played and why he was great. And it was very similar. To, I think it'll be very similar to his Hall of Fame speech. You know, you got to earn it. You got to do it. And and it's the greatest thing in the world, the most fulfilling thing in the world when you can, if not conquer this great game, at least master it for a short moment. And and that's going to carry the day. That'll that'll define why we care. You both have written books about him. Um, and I just wonder, Michael, at this stage of his life, um, what would you like him to say that week uh, with respect to the things that, that matter? It, you know, I think they're real. It, Tiger is a very powerful presence in the game, to say the least. But I had this fantasy that Tiger could be Monaghan's secret weapon and that he could convince people not to jump ship here. And I realized when you look at, look at what Tiger has done for Patrick Reed. When Tiger selected Patrick Reed for that President's Cup team that, you know, that won um, uh, in Melbourne. Australia. Was that, too, that, was that 2019? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he gave him cover. Before, it absolutely gave him cover. Didn't say, a, you know, it was heinous what Patrick Reed did, you know, at the, at the, at the Albany event, Tiger's yes. own Albany event. Uh, Tiger and the Americans and Patrick Reed especially are super lucky they pulled that they pulled that win out or I think the knives would would have really uh, come out then, but um, I think Patrick Reed worships Tiger Woods. We all know about the red and black that he's been wearing forever. Um, but if Patrick, presumably, I'm not. I don't know this. It would be hard to imagine Patrick Reed and Tiger would not have talked about jumping to live at some point, and still Patrick Reed went. So it will be impressive to see Tiger in full. Anytime you see Tiger in full, it's impressive. But to think that it's actually going to have some impact on where the game is, no. For the three of us, because we're really into this sort of thing, yeah, it'll be cool to see Tiger plant the flag, as you say. But in terms of actually having impact on, on the game, I don't know about Just a quick note about Tiger's future. I mean, sadly, at this stage, given all that his body has been through and, and, and his mind along with it, it is very hard to imagine everything I say about Tiger Woods is wrong. It is very hard to imagine him playing world-class elite golf again. He could because he's Tiger Woods and you can never uh, count him out. Having said that, I think, you know, through his 50s and his 60s, he could have an immense role in the game as sort of a deputy commissioner for golf that really, you know, as, as Jaime was saying earlier, that that carries forward the spirit of Hogan and Nicholas and Hillerwin and a hundred other people, but only about a hundred people to, to the next generation. Uh, Dave Anderson uh, used to say this about Wayne Gretzky, that the NHL players, as they started making money, they could have turned into jerks. They were always considered the best interviews in, in, in sports, but they weren't because Gretzky set a tone for what was proper decorum and the next generation kept going. And it's true to this day, as far as I know. Uh, Tiger could play that kind of role in, in some kind of official capacity. It doesn't have to be unofficial capacity, but I could see him as some sort of deputy commissioner for competition or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I mentioned you both have written books about him and, and you know, it, it kind of different stages of their life. As a matter of fact, the title, Michael, of your book, The, the Second Life of, of Tiger Woods, was after the period, uh, Jaime, that the big miss focused on. And, and as, look, I thought the area that you focused on that's highly sensitive, Michael, I thought you wrote about it in a very pragmatic and, and clever way about, look, if you feel this way, 
you just you can go ahead to page whatever it was 132 and just skip this part of the book uh but and when it was over you said if you felt that way before you probably still do if you're not sure you're probably still not sure and if you thought you did he did and then you probably still do. i thought i was like i'll be damned but my my point is that look i'm i'm on a a life that that there is I, i've got addiction in my own me and i have that part of my journey that i'm walking and there are things that 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 i still don't know about myself what do we not still know about him, Jaime, as somebody who has been covered in the electronic age as, as in a, in a, at a micro level like no one else has? What, we, what do we still not know? Well, we got an inkling of it, I think, at the Hall of Fame speech. And not because it was the greatest speech in the world. It was really good. But I think because, and I don't want to say, I don't want to criticize Target, but the bar was so low in terms of self-revelation and, and, and self-kind of... Um, exposure of, of what's really inside of him and what really drives him and i think it's profound what's inside of him and i think he lets it out very slowly because privacy is so important and i think he feels like his life has been exploited to some extent and uh, and and scrutinized to such an extent that it's been corrosive to him and so he hangs on to that very very tightly but when he lets it out you realize that he he was driven by something special and, and he, and he's proud of it and he values it. And he's, and it's something that is, I think something that is inspirational to other golfers. And so I think whenever he speaks in the future, I don't think he needs an official capacity. Everybody will always listen to what Tiger's got to say, because there's a really profound truth about the game and why we love the game and what's great about the game. Every time he talks, there's nothing, I don't think, at all duplicitous or evasive when he talks about golf he there is he's in his wheelhouse and and he feels i think he he's on he's on ground that he can be completely candid about and and i think as he gets older and he gets wiser and he starts to appreciate everything he did it just comes out in a way that just has this real depth just like bobby jones when he wrote his book and and jack has been as good an interview after his playing days as he was during um, because he's free now to really reflect. So I think the more Tiger reflects and passes on what he knows is great and what he's proud of, the more influence he'll have. And, and that'll be enough. I, I think he'll be a giant in that regard. I don't think he needs anything uh, in terms of a lot of exposure, just those, just those moments. And maybe one of those will happen at St. Andrews. What don't we know, Michael? But Garrett, just just to go quick aside here for one quick second, and we there's yes we we don't know so much more than what we do know. We yep. Um, uh, and Gary, I, I think what you just said about you know for you to get out of bed every day and do what you're doing, and you, you know you've had a great career, you've had setbacks in your career, and your life is no different from anybody else's except for it, it's more public. Tiger's life, Tiger's life is like Michael Jackson's life and very, very, very few others where the whole thing has been recorded. And he's always had to perform for a camera in some sense. So to Jaime's point about, you know, he, his need for privacy, of course he has a need for privacy. And of course he needs to escape from the pressure of that constant camera being, being on him because it's more than any human being can take. So the fact, you know, that, that book's called The Second Life of Tiger Woods. But that book, the title of that book was dated by the time it came out. You know, we're already on to the third life of Tiger Woods. We don't know, we don't know what the future uh, has in mind for this guy. 
just a, a quick point about Hyde uh, making reference to uh, the Hall of Fame induction. The beauty of it, it wasn't speech at all. It was just like a reminiscence of Zaminer days. And it was filled with fantasy. And, you know, you could say, oh, not true. But I'll just I'll just generally use fantasy. Like we all fantasize about you. He said he played a Navy golf course and hid in the bushes. And every once in a while, he would find a brand new Bellata Titleist. That does not happen on a Navy golf course because those guys are playing pinnacles. There are no Bellatas there. Come on now. There's some good Navy golfers. <laughs> yeah, but they don't lose a lot of golf balls. That, that's Navy fair. Golf Very fair. All right. I, I wish I had more time. Let me get you out here with five quick questions here. Uh, Jaime, let me start with you. The most complicated person in golf you've ever interviewed. Oh, gosh. Well, I got to say, Phil, uh, and I didn't feel that. I guess that's that's because of everything that was roiling under the surface that's now come to in so many ways, just dissemble everything he constructed. Um, you know, I think Alan did a really good job in the book. And I think what drove him was trying to, as he said in the first chapter, was trying to figure Phil out. But I still don't understand Phil's decision and, and what he's calculated. So to me, just that uh, result of, of what he's decided on in his last year or so has, has been about as complicated as a golfer's ever been publicly. How about you, Michael? Well, I'll say Tiger because I've been covering him since as a teenager and I don't know anything about him. Mm. All right. The, the one golf book, Michael, on a flight to the other side of the world that you take over all the others. I'm, I'm glad I got this first because I'm going to steal Jaime's answer because I think we have the same one. I'm going to go with The Bogeyman by George Clinton. I love it. I love it too. That is great. You know, gosh, Gary, that's just so unfair, but... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go with, I love Herb Wynn's following through and it's a, just a collection. And I love Dan Jenkins' dog and victims for different reasons. I mean, that's just so humorous and funny, but um, I guess I kind of identified a little with Herb, not anywhere near the ability or the, the output or the, the quality, but just the process that he went through. I could identify with it as he was, as I was reading it. And it just made me feel like I've been so lucky in this life to have that that same kind of dynamic with the players. Well, yeah, Michael grabbed his copy of, of the win book as you were, as you were saying that. <laughs> All right, Jaime, the major in history you wish you could have covered. Oh gosh. Oh, wow. Um, uh, I guess 1960, uh, Cherry Hills, us open Hogan, Nicholas Palmer, you know, Jack Fleck, <laughs> Mike, Su but, but those three, those first three, and uh, and that, you know, it endured in so many ways in, in all their stories afterwards. Michael, how about you? I think maybe Johnny McDermott uh, uh, winning at Chicago, the U.S. Open, for being the first American to win the U.S. Open. Because then I could beat Mark Frost to the punch on his own thing. Not like a writer as well as Mark Frost. But everyone thinks, you know, we met was the first American ever to win a U.S. Open. Like, he's not. So I'd write a, I'd write a Johnny McDermott. Johnny McDermott was a tough interview, Michael. <laughs> what was that, Jaime? Johnny McDermott was a tough interview. Uh, <laughs> well, that didn't stop. That didn't stop Mark Frost. <laughs> All right, uh, Michael. The the golf biography that should be written about a about a living player. I mean, a a complete biography. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be Tiger, but that's so obvious. Uh, uh, a living player, you know, 
Gary Player's life and times from how he grew up and how he and race relations and how his thinking about him evolved. If it's a, if it if it evolved genuinely, which I hope it did. I mean, that could be really fascinating, deep stuff. But the true answer would be Tiger. Jaime, I'm going to go with Lee Trevino, who's had a couple of biographies. Yeah. And uh, he's he's such a great spokesman for his own life. And I, still, I and still, yeah. there's a vibrancy oh, yeah. to him that that is yeah. pretty remarkable. All right, last thing. And, and Jaime, I'll start with you because you're cloaked in martyrdom. Uh, the last time you threw a club yourself, when was it? When was the last time you threw a club? Yeah, we played a lot of rounds up in in Orlando, Garrett. Did I ever throw a club? No, you you well you you I, kicked the ground yeah, a couple of times. A, You're very demonstrative. I, I don't know about throwing clubs. Yeah, no, I I you know I I, I definitely expressed a lot of uh, <laughs> ugly frustration. But I the last time I threw a club was at St Andrews Bay. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say I was playing with Jeff Rude, John Hawkins, and Rex Hoggard, and I was hitting these low cut heel shots into the wind and I hit another one and it went off into the bush and I just threw this club as far as I could and I didn't even see there was a road about 50 yards away and a car was driving I mean it was everybody watched the slow motion like this helicopter was heading for this car and it was going to hit the car and it bounced in front of the car and didn't hit it the guy stopped and looked at me like I was the lowest you know form of life and I was so I have not thrown a club since then. I've, I've done some other things very embarrassing, but not that. Michael, how about you? I, I've got this move that we all have where you've got the red ass so bad and you take that club and you start back here and you could heave it and then and you just stop. I'll do that half a dozen times around. Or earlier this year, I was playing with three other friends. They were all on the far right. I was in the left rough, par five. Tried to go for it in two, had a decent line, tried to hit a hybrid, then did it like I always do out of the rough with that hybrid, right into this lake. And I took the club and I flinged it as far as I possibly could. And it was perfect. It was up in the air and long. And then I'm like, holy crud. Not only is my ball in the water, the hybrid's going to go in the water too. <laughs> if it bounced, it stopped short. I looked to my right to see if my three playing partners uh, saw me. And like in my fantasy life, they didn't but i know they did i'm not surprised by either by either admission uh i wish we could do, go on for hours and we will without the cameras even though jaime would insist on the cameras being rolling uh, now that he's a big tv star uh, i thank you both uh, i look forward to seeing you both soon enough uh, your voices and your thoughts are invaluable uh to the game that i love and i know you both love so thanks so much thank you gary thanks for having us there Well, I really appreciate Michael Bamberger and Jaime Diaz for joining me. And most importantly, I thank you for watching and listening to this Five Clubs conversation. We'll see you next week.